Good morning. <clears throat> I, uh, I brought a picture that I wanted to share with you this morning, and so um, I wasn't here last weekend. I was on a little field trip, and so um, I'd like to share this picture, if you guys will go ahead and put it up there. Uh, now, I don't, I don't share that picture to rub anything in. Uh, believe it or not, um, I'm actually sharing it to illustrate the text this morning. And I'll let you think about that one for a moment, how that picture might illustrate a text about husbands and wives. But while you're thinking about that, I want to share a funny story with you. Um, so and just in case you don't know all these people, uh, that's my friend Gavin. And then, of course, my kids, Milbrian and Jack Parker, and then Gavin's kids, Guy and Emma, are all there together. Um, and we got over to Athens early, and we went to SEC Network, and then we went to College Game Day. And uh, at, right at the end of College Game Day, as Lee Corso was putting on the big bulldog head, and, you know, it just all the Georgia fans were just going crazy and, and doing all these different cheers. Well, my buddy Gavin... I've told you this before, but he was the mascot over here at UK and was that for three years. And it, it takes a certain kind of personality to be the mascot, right? And so here we are, in all, I mean, surrounded by Georgia fans, and everybody's yelling out these different Georgia cheers. And so all of a sudden, Gavin goes, give me a G, and everybody goes, G, not knowing who was beginning the cheer, right? And then he goes, give me an O, and you can tell everybody's like, that's not how you spell Georgia, but, <laughs> oh. And then he goes, what's it spell? Go cats, go cats. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun. We had a good time. Uh, but I do want you to notice something about this picture. Um, now, uh, obviously... The Dewersons, Gavin and his kids, are all in Kentucky blue. Um, I, people asked me what color I was going to wear. I wore black uh, and have Georgia. You can tell it says Georgia across the top, and then there's a big bulldog head on the, on the shirt. And then uh, my kids are in red and red. So uh, here's what I want you to notice about that. Neither Gavin nor I um, have forced our children um, to be fans of the team that we're fans of. That's not, we've not, we've not done that. You could, you know, you could argue um, it's been easier for Gavin because his kids have actually grown up here in Lexington, right, for his kids to become Kentucky fans. Um, because I graduated from Georgia, and even though all three of my kids, uh, my three oldest children uh, were born in Athens. They've all grown up here. But, but here we are. I'm a Georgia football fan. My kids were wearing Georgia colors. Gavin's a Kentucky fan. His kids were cheer, clearly cheering uh, and rooting for Kentucky. And so based upon this picture, one might conclude that if you were brought up in the Durson home, you have to be a Kentucky fan. You might conclude that. Or if you're brought up in the Kaufman home, then you have to be a Georgia fan. You might conclude that perhaps there's house rules, 
right, that require that happening. Well, I can't speak for Gavin, but we don't actually have that house rule at our house. That's not one of our rules. My kids are, are welcome to cheer for their favorite team, whoever that uh, favorite team might be. And, you know, it's not really even a common practice today to have household rules, right? Um, yeah, maybe there's things like, you know, you need to take your shoes off at the door or there's an understood time of curfew and those sorts of things. Um, But household rules aren't as common a practice today as they were back in Greco-Roman times. You can go ahead and take that picture off the wall so people aren't having to be distracted. Um, But back in Greco-Roman times, it was the common practice of the day to have a list of rules for family life. The literary term used by scholars to refer to these rules about the way a a household should be managed is house codes. These rules were called house codes, and they would list and explain what one's conduct should be as a member of any Greco-Roman household. And I think it's really important to know this historical context when reading the Bible because we have three examples of house codes in the New Testament. We have an example of house codes shared with us in Colossians chapter 3 by Paul. We have another set shared with us by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3. And then we have this set of house codes that Paul shares with us here in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 21 and going through verse 9 of chapter 6. And so we're going to spend these two Sundays, today and next week, looking at these house codes in Ephesians. So today we're going to look at verses 21 through 33, and then next week we're going to look at verses 1 through 9 of chapter 6, all part of the same house code instructions. Now, uh, the house code instructions in these verses... uh, admittedly, are part of a different time and culture. So I think they can kind of sound a little foreign to us. As I've said, it's not the common practice anymore to have such codes of conduct. Um, We no longer have slaves, and so that sounds weird and different to us. And we would not group wives and children and slaves together as inferior as people did in the Greco-Roman world. However, in the first century Roman Empire, it was very common. Household codes uh, were were part of everyday life. Um, And these codes would typically address the three key relationships in a house. Husband and wife, parent and child, Masters and slaves. And so what we find here in Ephesians is very common. It, this would not have been unusual. This would have been, they would have expected this to be addressed. This would be familiar to everyone hearing it, Christian and non-Christian alike. However, what would not be familiar and what makes Paul's version of the house codes strikingly different from all other versions of household Household codes that would have existed during the Greco-Roman time 
is that his house codes have instructions for all of the members of the house. In fact, it is this point that makes Paul's house codes Christian and not just exactly like all the other non-Christian house codes of the day. You see, Roman, the Roman Empire was a patriarchal society. It was a society where the husband and the father and the master held all of the power. So these household codes would typically only be directed to the men. Everyone else was excluded from the conversation. They, would not, they, they wouldn't include the wives. They wouldn't include the children and the slaves in the conversation. The codes uh, were written by the patriarch, for the patriarch, about how his household should be run. Wives submit, and here are the rules defining what their submission should look like. Children obey, and here are the rules about what their obedience should look like. Slaves obey, and here are the rules with what their obedience should look like. And so the non-Christian Greco-Roman household codes instruct the wives to submit and the children to obey and the slaves to obey. So what makes Paul's house codes different from them? It's an important question. Well, what makes them so different is by contrast, Paul's house codes are different because, again, they are addressed to all the people in the house. Paul addresses these codes to the men and to the women and to the children and to the slaves. All are brought into the conversation. And this is radically different. Paul gives every member of the house a voice. Paul gives value to every person in the house. Every person in the house is given a voice. Every person is given value. And it's really important to understand that historical context as we study these house codes. Now, this morning, we're going to look at the relationship between husband and wife. And then next week, we'll look at the relationship between parents and children and masters and slaves. Now, when studying this text, it's very important to begin, as we did with our reading this morning, at verse 21. Depending on your translation, some will include verse 21 with this section. That's what the NRSV chooses to do. It's what we read from earlier. And others will not include it with this section. The NIV, uh, the ESV, both choose to include verse 21 in the earlier section. Well, is it in the first section or is it in the second section? And the short answer is both. The translators of your Bible had to make a choice to include it in one section or the other, but it must be understood to be a significant part of both sections. You see, verse 21 is a bridge verse. It connects, like a bridge, 
the first part of chapter 5 with the second part of chapter 5. So verse 21 is definitely part of the first section, the first part of chapter 5. We talked about this two weeks ago. In verse 18, there is an imperative, be filled with the Spirit. And that imperative is followed by five participles. There's five I-N-G words defining what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Speaking, singing, making music, giving thanks, and submitting to one another. These five I-N-G words are defining characteristics of people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. People who are under the influence of the Holy Spirit are filled with song, and they're filled with thanksgiving, and they're filled with submission. So verse 21 has to be part of that conversation. It cannot be removed from understanding what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And verse 21 must also be included with the second part, the second section, these house codes of chapter 5, because verse 22 would otherwise not have a verb. If you pull out your Greek Bible and look at your Greek text, there's no verb at all in verse 22. The word translated as be subject in the NRSV or as submit in the NIV or ESV is not even found in the Greek text of verse 22. It's not there. So the call to submission in verse 31 has to be carried over so that verse 22 has a verb. So the instruction for wives to submit to their husbands is an example then of the mutual submission required of all Christians. You see, what makes Paul's house codes distinctively Christian is verse 21. That's why it must be included as you look at these house codes. What makes his codes distinctively Christian is the spirit-filled mutual submission of all the relationships in the house. That's what makes us Christian people. That's a distinguishing characteristic and mark of someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit, that every relationship that you're in is marked by mutual submission. The mutual submission of husbands and wives, the mutual submission of parents and children, the mutual submission of masters and slaves, and this changes everything. Verse 21 must be included in this section because mutual submission is the defining characteristic of all the relationships listed in Paul's house codes. And so then check this out. The house codes are bookended then with a call to mutual submission at the beginning and then a reminder at the end of them in chapter 6 and verse 9 that there is no partiality, there's no favoritism with God. That's how they conclude. 
So God does not favor one person in a relationship more than the other person in the relationship. In other words, we must mutually respect one another because God is not a respecter of one person more than another. God treats all persons the same way. No matter their sex, no matter their class, no matter their position, no matter their race, no matter their age. And we too must mutually respect one another. And so these house codes are to be read in this context of mutual submission and mutual respect. However you choose to interpret these verses, it must begin with mutual submission and it must end with mutual respect. Now, I want to recognize that before we kind of jump into uh, the end of chapter 5 here, that I want to recognize that lengthy books on marriage have been written about just these verses alone in Ephesians 5, hundreds of pages. And um, I've got about 15 minutes. I also want to acknowledge that I think we could pretty easily do a six- to eight-week series probably on marriage based just on this text. Um, but that's, that's not what I'm trying to accomplish uh, in the next 10 or 15 minutes. Um, I simply, I simply want to highlight what I think is an important shift that Paul makes here in these household codes and connect it with the overall message of his letter to the Ephesian church. Several years ago, um, I had a, a, a gentleman call me, and he asked if I would come by and visit um, him and his wife. Now, just, just so you know, I, he, he, he was not a member here at Southside, so I don't uh, want you to think I'm talking about one of you, and you're kind of looking around like, who's he talking about? Um, but anyway, I, I was happy to go and visit, uh, and I, I show up at their house, and, and we shared a few pleasantries, and we visited for a while, uh, and then I said, well, you know, you called, you wanted me to come by and visit, I said, is there a specific reason or is there some way that I can serve you or pray for you while I'm here? Um, and the husband responded that his wife would not do what he asked her to do. And so he wanted me to take out my Bible and teach her to submit to him. And there she sat. Across the room from me on the couch. Now, the Bible does clearly teach for wives to submit to their husbands. I don't want to water down that message at all today. That's not my, my purpose. It's what the Bible says. However, as I've already stated, that was not 
a distinctively Christian message in the first century. All of the Greco-Roman house codes taught for wives to submit to their husbands. But what makes Paul's house codes different? What makes them distinctive from all of the other non-Christian house codes is that he taught that a wife should submit to her husband not because of his position over her, but because of his relationship with her. And that changes everything. You see, this is not positional submission. This is not submit to him because he rules over you. This is relational submission. This is submit to him because he loves you. And that's very different. Positional submission is way too easy. It doesn't take any work. It's very low-hanging fruit. That guy that called me to his house and wanted me to teach his wife to submit to him just because of his position. I told him, you know what? It doesn't really work like that. Oh, it did back in the Greco-Roman society. That's how it worked. The wife had to to submit to the husband because of his position. Children had to obey because of his position. Slaves had to obey because of his position. That's how it worked. But that should never be the way of the Christian. Submission for the Christian wife has to be relational. It must be. There's no other way for it to, to be healthy in any form or fashion or manner. And first of all, it, it's, it's based upon and motivated by, it must be this way, it must be based upon and motivated by her relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the first relationship. There's a little phrase at the end of verse 22 that's often overlooked. Paul writes, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Paul does not write, wives, submit to your husbands as if he were your Lord. Wives, you only have one Lord, and husbands, you are not it. It's wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. You see, wives, Paul says your relationship with your husband is similar to your relationship with Jesus in this way. Jesus loves you and gave his life for you. And in response, you submit to his love and to his care and to his service to you. 
And in a similar way, your husband loves you and gives his life for you. And in response, you submit to his love and to his care and to his service to you. This is not positional submission. It's relational. In fact, the submission of the wife is not even the main emphasis of this text. It's secondary. Three times, Paul repeats his charge very clearly to the husband. In verse 25, in verse 28, in verse 33, love your wife. And this is agape love. This is the kind of love that requires choosing with your will, even when you don't feel like it, even when it's not required of you, choosing total self-sacrifice and complete self-giving. If anything is positional about the relationship between husband and wife, the husband is called in this text to take the position of one who serves. The action that is required of the husband in this text is a much harder directive. In verse 25, Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives just as. That's a great little phrase. Just as. Not kind of like or not similarly or not do your best. Husbands, love your wives just as. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, the husband is to give himself totally, to give himself completely to his wife in love and care and service. You see, for the first time in the house codes, it had never happened in all of Greco-Roman society up to this point, up until Paul. The main instruction was not given about how the wives are to submit. The main instruction that's given is about how the husbands are to serve. It was husbands, love your wives just as Jesus loves the church. We talked about this um, a couple uh, of weeks ago, but... We can kind of connect the dots here with this just as, um, like I've said many times, I'm one that likes to circle and underline, but this just as is found here in verse 23. You can go back to chapter 5 and verse 2, and there we see that we're to live a life of love just as, as our Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then also, you can just go right back to verse 32 of chapter 4, 
And it's be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And you can begin to connect the dots. Husbands are to love their wives just as Christ loved the church. You know, I shared back when we were studying the beginning of chapter 5 that no better definition of Christian love can be found in all the Bible than in verse 2, that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That is the definition of Christian love. And husbands are called to love in that way, just as in verse 25, in verse 28, and in verse 33. And so with that understanding, with that call, with that challenge, with, with for the first time in house code history, for Paul to bring instruction to the patriarch, not just to share instruction about how everyone is supposed to act for the patriarch, but to bring instruction to the patriarch. This instruction to love just as Christ loved the church. Allow me to conclude this morning by connecting uh, this, what Paul's doing here with this house codes, to the overall message of Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. What do these house codes have to do with the message? Why include them here with, with the message, the overall message of Ephesians. Well, you're probably tired of me talking about it, and you've heard me say it and kind of repeat myself over and over again, but what, I, what I've said is the main point of this letter is unity. It's unity. It, it, it's It's all about unity. You have to put on unity glasses. That's that's the the interpretive word. That's that's kind of the, that's what, as you kind of follow the string of interpretation all through this letter, this is the point. I've emphasized that several times over the course of this series. It's all about unity. So to to fully understand the teaching of Ephesians, I want to say one more time that that Paul's writing this letter to bring unity to the church, a church that consisted of Jews and Gentiles. Boy, you just can't emphasize it or express it enough about how much easier it would have been just to form two separate groups, to have had a Jewish church and a Gentile church. But for Paul, the will of God is to bring all things in heaven and on earth under one head, Jesus Christ. So two separate groups was not an option for Paul. The church was going to exist of Jews and Gentiles 
And so these two groups were going to have to learn how to live together in mutual submission and in mutual respect. And so Paul includes his distinctly distinctively Christian version of these house codes in this letter because the church ceases to be a credible witness for Jesus Christ if it is not itself made up of families who've learned how to live together in mutual submission and mutual respect. John Stott, in his commentary on Ephesians, asked this great question. He says, what is the point of peace in the church if there's no peace in the home? Brothers and sisters, if if there's ever going to be unity in the church, There must first be harmony in the home. And so Paul includes this version of of the house codes to emphasize what the practical outworking of unity looks like in the most basic relational unit, the home. And my prayer for us is that the Holy Spirit will fill us with this mutual submission and the the mutual respect needed to learn how to live with one another in our homes, in our workplaces, in our church. Let's pray together. Father, so thankful for this message. Thankful. Um, we're thankful for the emphasis of, of Paul on unity. Um, this, this beautiful this beautiful analogy, this beautiful portrait of bringing two things together as one. Whether that's Jesus and his church, whether that's husband and wife, whether that's child and parent, whether that's master and slave, whether it's Jew and Gentile, Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit to fill us to the overflow, Lord, that we can be people of unity. Thank you for this challenge today. Thank you for this challenge to love. Thank you for this challenge to submit. Thank you for this challenge to give ourselves to one another in mutual submission and respect. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if there is anybody here uh, who is present and uh, wants to
give yourself today to the one who's given everything for you. He gave his life for you. He gave up himself. He gave up heaven for you. He came here to love you and to give up himself on the cross for you. This morning, in response to that great love for you, if you, you come and you submit yourself to him, you give yourself to him. Turn from your sin, put Christ on, put your faith in him, and put him on in baptism. We'd love to be a part of that in your life this morning. If there's anyone here that would like to do that, let's stand together and sing.